Well, good morning, Compass Church. What a talented group of guys you have back here. Just pro appreciate you guys, your ministry. It's such an encouragement to be back here with you and standing and um, just being able to come and stand in a place that honestly for the last five years has been such an encouragement to me and my family as we launched a church and are growing it up. You guys have journeyed with us and been friends with us and it's such an encouragement to come and be with you and hopefully in some small way encourage you. This summer we were busy with our children as I'm sure many of you have been and we have three eight, six, and four, so uh, we're very busy right now. And our middle daughter is doing swim team. How many of your kids did swim team growing up or they're in it right now? How many of you have spent like seven hours at a swim meet before to watch one heat? That's awesome, right? Um, we went to a time trial for my middle daughter for her swim team. She had to, to swim the length of the pool. And we went to the pool, and it's like the Olympic-sized pool with like six lanes, and it stretches like this way. But if you can picture it in your mind's eye, there's a, it's like an L shape. And at the end of it is the little baby pool that enters into it. You know what I'm talking about? So you've got all the lanes, and then right at the end is the baby pool. And our middle daughter, Marin, is on the block, and she's swimming freestyle and doing her time trial, and she... The horn goes off, and my wife, Jen, is right beside the pool like this, because she's right here on this lane. You can do it, baby. You can do it. You're, you're awesome. You're doing great, Mary. I'm about 10 feet behind, right? And I've got my other two kids, and I go to pull out my phone to take a picture. And while I'm pulling my phone out, something happens. We're getting further down the pool, right? And you remember what's down here. There's the baby pool that comes out. And Jen is so intently encouraging Marin. You're doing great, baby. You are doing so awesome. And I'm messing with my phone. Anybody with me? And I'm not paying attention. I'm trying to pull the camera up. And by the time I get the camera up and I go like this, I realize, I mean, Jen is like right here on the edge of the baby pool. She doesn't even see it. And before I can get lungs, air in my lungs to say, she's, she's going in. <laughs> and she's in the pool. And now I have a real dilemma because I have my phone uh, out. <laughs> and so my little baby girl is almost done with her lap, but then my wife is in the pool, and this doesn't happen. This is rare. With all of her clothes, you know, fully dressed and, the, you know, hair done and everything. And so I snapped a picture. I won't tell you which one I took, but here, here, here's what, why I share that. And this is one of the many reasons why I love my beloved. She was so focused on encouraging our daughter that she lost track of where she was on the pool, and she fell in. She comes up, she does a bow. You know, the, the pool deck is packed with people who are watching this whole thing. And you know what she does? She turns right back to Marin and goes, you're almost there, Marin. You're almost there. And I love that. I love her for that and so many other reasons. I hope this weekend and the next two that we're here, that you hear us on the pool deck and maybe even falling in saying we love you. And you're doing a great job, and you're going to make it. And because the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you, you're unstoppable. And the work of the church is unstoppable. And God's going to continue the work that he began in you. And in some small way over the next three weeks, I hope that we can encourage you in that way. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather as your church to hear your word. And I pray that it would do what it's been doing for generations, that it would reprove us, that it would correct us, that it would encourage us. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Herman Melville's classic work, Moby Dick, is filled with so many different scenes, and one of them is Father Maple, the priest of the congregation there, giving a sermon to all the mariners and their families before they went out on their great hunt. And in the middle of his sermon, he says this line, fellow shipmates, all things that God calls us to are difficult. Because if we obey God, we must first disobey ourselves. And this is the difficulty. The difficulty of saying no to self and yes to God, right there in between that is what we call surrender. Webster's Dictionary defines surrender as the yielding of control. You don't need to raise your hand for this, but how many of you enjoy the process of yielding control over your life? We know about surrender that it's much more than a definition, isn't it? It is a story. It is a process to get us to to yield control, to say no to self and to say yes to God. And I want to take you to a story in the scriptures, a story of yielding control, a story of giving up control and and destiny over one's life. It's the story of a man named Jonah. And Jonah, if you have your scriptures, and I want to invite you to open them or turn them on to to Jonah chapter 1. You can find it between Obadiah and Micah right there in the, the last part of the Old Testament. Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets of Israel. His name actually means dove. He prophesied to the people of Israel between 800 and 750 B.C. And the role of a prophet, many of you have studied prophets before, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and all kinds of amazing people that God used in the Old Testament. But the simple job description of a prophet was to hear from God and then do what? To speak for God to God's people. That's the simple role and definition of a prophet. And that's exactly what God asked Jonah to do, except for one thing. This is very distinctive about the story of Jonah that we're going to see. Instead of using the words of Jonah to communicate to God's people, God used the very life of Jonah to communicate to God's people. God wanted to show us something through the process of surrender in Jonah's life that every single one of us needs to see. Because here's the deal, gang. Every single one of us lives in a gap, and the gap is this. Yes to God over here on this side of the gap, and no to self over here. And we live right here in this gap, and we've got to make this decision to say no to self and to say yes to God. But there's this whole other thing pulling us to say yes to who? To me. And every single day, in fact, every single moment, is a choice between yes to self or yes to God. And right there in the middle of those two gaps is where surrender happens. And it's where a relentlessly faithful and loving God meets us. And that's what we see through the life and the story of Jonah is God meeting this prophet and telling us a story of surrender through his life. Now, the story of Jonah is legendary, right? 
In fact, for Christians and non-Christians alike, it is regularly voted as one of the top four stories in all of the Old Testament. The first one is Moses parting what? The Red Sea. The second one is Noah and the flood. The third one is Daniel and the lion's den. And then Jonah and the whale. Right. And I don't know about you, but when I grew up, this is how I learned the story of Jonah. Maybe you've seen this picture before. I remember seeing this picture in this children's Bible that we used to read. This was Jonah, and he's in the belly of the well, and he's got a candle. And you'll notice something very interesting about the candle here. Have you seen this picture before? This was, I I promise you, was in my children's Bible growing up. I remember seeing it. The candle was lit. I don't know how Jonah got matches or how he lit a candle in the belly of a well in the middle of an ocean. But this was was how I learned about Jonah. This is what I knew about him. And, And this is what most people know about Jonah. We equate Jonah with what? The big fish. Here's what I want you to see, not only today, but over the next two weekends. The story of Jonah, the story of surrender, is not a story about a big fish. It's a story about a big God. It's a story about a big God that loves us so much that he meets us in the gap between saying yes to self and saying yes to God. That he meets us right there in that process of surrender and communicates relentlessly his love and his mercy, his grace to us. So let's begin. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The son of Amittai in the Hebrew means the son of faithfulness. These words are going to ring so true once we get to the end of Jonah's story because we're going to see that Jonah was an object, was a person of God's faithfulness all throughout his life. And guess what? As sons and daughters of the living God, guess what you are? You are a son, you are a daughter of God's faithfulness. Jonah was a son of God's faithfulness. And God proved that over and over and over again. The word of the Lord comes to this son of faithfulness saying, verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me, Jonah. This was the simple assignment that God gave to Jonah that starts the whole thing in motion, right? It all begins with God communicating to Jonah, the son of his faithfulness, his prophet, I want you to go and I want you to accomplish this assignment for me. I want you to go to a place called Nineveh. Now, just to give some context, Nineveh was 500 miles away from Israel. If you can picture it in your mind's eye, it's about 220 miles north of modern-day Baghdad. That's where Nineveh was. It was in a great empire called Assyria. They were a super world power during this time. And oh, by the way, one other thing you need to know about Nineveh and the, the Syrians the Israelites couldn't stand them. They were their arch enemy. And in fact, a couple decades later, the Assyrians would come and plunder the Israelites and take them off into exile. There was good reason for our friend Jonah to say, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this assignment, God. I don't like these people. Can we say that in church? I don't like them. I don't want to tell them that they're doing wrong. I want them to live there on their side of the wall, and I want to live where? On my side of the wall. 
And the last thing I want to do is to march myself 500 miles away from every single thing that I know in my life and go communicate to a group of people that I don't care about. In fact, I don't like them. I can't stand them. You know, when we read about the story of Jonah or we see the picture and we learn about it when we're kids and we think, wow, how could Jonah say no to God? But it's a lot more complicated than that when it lives itself out and plays itself out in our lives, isn't it? And one of the things you need to know here is that in the context of him saying no to God and yes to self, he listed his reasons why, and they all seem really good to him. Am I, am I near anybody here right now in, in your life? I'm listing all my reasons out. And guess what? Most of the people around me are going, good reason. Those people are, they're, they're mean, and they're ugly. And I don't want to tell them about God's love. And I don't want to go there. I love living here. I love my comforts. I love my friends. I love my family. Guys, there's nothing for Jonah and Nineveh other than God's will. He's going to a place that no one would ever want to go. That's what God's asking him to do. And here's where he's got to get. This is a direct application for us today, sitting right here this morning. What God is asking Jonah to do, remember that gap, yes to God, yes to self. What God is asking Jonah to do is to say yes to his will and no to his way. God, would you bring me to a place, would you bring us to a place in our lives where we want your will more than we want our way? The assignment that God gives to Jonah is a very difficult one. It doesn't match his dream for his life. Any of you ever been there in your lives before? What God's asking you to do, the assignment that he's given you for this season, the people that he's asking you to go to, the company that he's asking you to join, the organization that he's asking you to leave, the, the neighborhood that he's asking you to go be a part of, whatever it might be, you don't really want to do it. It doesn't match your dream for your life, how you have it all planned out. And here's the deal, guys. A lot of people die when they're 25 years old and they're just not buried until they're 85. Because somewhere along the way, very early in their life, when they begin to journey with the Lord and God asks them to go do something, he gives them an assignment, they say what? No way. And they choose who? Self. And they say no to God. And here's the whole deal. Obedience to God means surrender to self. That's what it means. And that's what God's asking Jonah to do right here off the bat in his assignment. Verses 1 and 2 as we start the story. Verse 3, we see Jonah's response. This Old Testament prophet, the son of faithfulness. Here's what he says to God. He says no. (laughs) The scriptures say in verse 3 that Jonah arose. He did the first thing. God told him to arise. He did that. But he didn't go towards God. He went towards self. In fact, the scriptures say that he fled to Tarshish from who? Who's he running from? The presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, which was a port city in Israel. And he paid the fare there. And he got on the boat. And he went with the sailors to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. (laughs) Any of you ever run away before? Anybody ever run away? It happens like once a week in our house. Somebody's running away, right? I remember running away one time when I was a kid and I made it to my my best friend's house, which was 
all the way across my yard. Do you know where Tarsus was? Tarsus was in southwestern Spain. And in the Iron Age, right here in this season, it was the furthest known place in the world. Jonah is serious about running away. He's not going to his neighbor's house a couple of doors down. This guy is literally running to the end of the world. And he's running away from who? From God. Remember David's prayer in the Psalms, God, where can I go that you're not? Where can I go that your spirit doesn't already dwell? Jonah is trying with all of his might. Remember the gap. I've chosen self and Jonah is Jonah is sprinting towards himself and his own decisions, trying to escape God. And he makes these willful decisions. Go and read the scriptures again for yourself. Jonah chapter 1. He makes these willful decisions to go down. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the boat. And the picture that we're getting, right, is this. That he's making choice after choice after choice after choice to choose self. And the scriptures paint a very vivid picture. Everybody watch this. That he's making willful decision after willful decision after willful decision after willful decision to walk away from God's will. Once we make that first initial decision to say no to God and yes to self, all the other decisions start to happen. We say no here and then we say no again. Then we say no again. Now it's, it's coming easier now. Now I say no again. No, no, no. And yes to who? Jonah is full on escaping from God. And his choices, don't miss this, Jonah's choices are leading him away from the will of God in his life. What happens next? Some of you know the story. Verses 4 through 7. As Jonah is full on running away, he's got all his bags packed. He's down in the belly of the ship. He's made willful choices to walk away from the assignment. He's in full on escape. The scriptures say in verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. In verse 5, The mariners were afraid, and they each cried out to their own gods. Now, these are seasoned mariners. These are guys who are on the water every single day making this journey across the Mediterranean Sea. How many of you travel for a living? How many of you have ever been in terrible turbulence before on a plane? Whenever I'm in turbulence on a plane, you know who I'm looking at? The flight attendant. I'm serious. Whenever we get into choppy air, I'm always looking at the flight tank because if they're up, you know, serving drinks and, hey, then I'm going, we're okay. Not a big deal. When they kind of go, we're discontinuing the food and beverage service and they're buckling up and they're, it's like, now I'm nervous. These are mariners, right? These are seasoned veterans. And what's their response to this storm that God kicks up on the sea? They're terrified. They're freaking out. 
And they're crying out to God saying, God, save us. Not, the, not Yahweh, God, their own gods are saying, God, please, please come and save us. What have we done? And they're hurling, the scriptures say, they're, they're taking all their cargo, they're, all their shipment, the whole reason why they're out there. They're taking all this cargo and they're doing what? Throwing it overboard. Trying to save themselves. This is a frenetic pace that's happening here. They're throwing things over. They're panicked. Where's Jonah? Some of you remember. Jonah's asleep. All these guys are going crazy. They're throwing things overboard. They're thinking, we're going to die any moment. And this guy's down in the bottom of the boat, asleep. Now, there's two times in the scriptures that we read about two men who were asleep in the middle of a storm on a boat. One is Jesus and one is Jonah. Jesus does it because he completely trusts God in what he's doing. Jonah does it because he doesn't care. Watch this. The opposite of love and passion is not anger and frustration. You know what the opposite of love is? It's apathy. Whenever I meet with couples and we're talking about the hard stuff of life and marriage and and we're having these conversations, but they're engaged and they're talking about it and they're frustrated and they're passionate. You know what I think inside? These guys care. They really care. They care about each other. They care about themselves too, but they really care about this marriage. They want to make it work. They want to try to understand. They're frustrated. They're in the game. They're engaged. And I've met with other people and they're... What time is this over with? You know what that communicates to me? They're out. I don't care. What's Jonah's posture here? Right in the middle of this whole thing, this whole story, right here in the middle of God trying to get his attention and get him to surrender. What's his posture? I don't care. And in fact, the captain of the boat, he comes down and he finds Jonah and he says what? Arise! Who else told Jonah to arise? God, right at the beginning. Wake up, Jonah, and call out to who? Call out to your God that he might have a thought towards us. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Let's just hit the pause button for a second. Who's the only person on this boat that actually knows the will of God? Jonah. He knows exactly what's happening. All these other guys are asking their gods to try to tell them what's going on, what's happening, where did the storm come from? We've never seen anything like this. And Jonah doesn't give it a thought at all. Not at all. You know, we name storms now, big ones. And this one probably would have gotten a name in modern day times. You know what I think the name of this storm would have been? Mercy. See, this storm is not about getting Jonah. This storm is all about getting Jonah back. Watch this. The whole purpose of the storm, because who calls the storm? Go back and read it. God. The whole purpose behind the storm was to do what? To stop Jonah from making the biggest mistake of his life. And gang, 
Sometimes the crisis that you're going through, the storm that you're going through, the difficult time that you're going through is to stop you from making the biggest mistake of your life. Oftentimes it's in a crisis that we're actually listening to God. C.S. Lewis said it this way, pain is like a megaphone from the mouth of God to your ear. And when we experience a storm or a crisis, when we experience hurt, it gets our attention. Now let me ask you a question. Are you running to something in your life? Or are you running away from something? Don't miss this in the story. Jonah has ordered his entire life to run away from pain. You can either run towards purpose in your life or you can run away from pain. And I found in my own life and the lives of other people I journey with, oftentimes we're very tempted to order our lives completely around running away from past pain. I don't want to experience that anymore. It's too hard. It's not what I want. And I begin to make willful decisions to say yes to me and to say no to God. It can happen very quickly, can't it? A storm oftentimes gets us to a place where we're awake enough, where we arise, where we come to and we realize something is really wrong and I've got to make a change in my life. And here's the last part of the story for for today. It's the turn. Right in the middle of the assignment and Jonah escaping in this terrible storm, God getting Jonah's attention and telling him about his choices and everything that's happening, something begins to happen in Jonah's heart that God, watch this, that God wants to happen in every single one of our hearts. As we stand in this gap between yes to God, yes to self, and we try to make choices, God wants to meet us there and turn our hearts towards him. Watch what happens with Jonah. The captain comes and says, wake up, pray to God. And the scriptures say they all cast lots, which during that time was a way to determine God's will. Now again, who knows God's will? Jonah does. But they're all casting lots, and guess who it comes up on? Jonah. And they go to Jonah. Look at this. Verses 8 forward, they say, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. That's how bad this storm is. What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? Who are your people? They're grilling him. Look at verse 9. Look what happens here. Don't miss this, guys. Look at verse 9, chapter 1 of Jonah. They're grilling him with all these questions. Where did you come from? Who are you? What do you do? And Jonah answers this way. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. In this moment, Jonah 1 verse 9, Jonah remembers who and whose he is. Jonah remembers You know what, if you could summarize the entire Old Testament in one word, you know what that word would be? God's word from his mouth to your ears? Remember. Remember. God is reminding Jonah of who he is and whose he is. 
He says, I'm a Hebrew, which in international culture, again, these pagan sailors would have understood this. When he said, I'm a Hebrew, it meant that I'm a son of God. I'm a son of Amitai. I'm a son of faithfulness. They knew immediately. And guess what their response is? Read along. What have you done? You're a son of God? What is it that you've done? And the scriptures go on to say that they understand, because Jonah told them, that he was running away from God. And they say, what can we do, Jonah? Here we are. Now, this is the expression, we're all in the same boat. Here we are out here in the middle of this boat, and you've put us here because of your disobedience. Your, your choice to choose self has had an effect on all of us. And by the way, our choices of self or God have an effect on other people around us. Our families, our neighborhoods, our cities, our churches, our organizations, our country, our world. The choices that Jonah made early on in this story that we went through to willfully walk away from the will of God and to choose his way instead of God's will has a direct effect on all these guys now. They're literally in the same boat against the same storm. And God is trying to get Jonah's attention and get him to turn and remember who and whose he is, and he does. And they say, well, what do we do with you now? Remember? What do we do with you? And Jonah says, throw me into the ocean. Throw me into the ocean. For as long as I'm on this boat, this storm is not going to give up. Now, in this storm, we see what? The character of God. His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on us. It is relentless. And Jonah knows, as long as I'm running away from God, God's going to continue to pursue me. And this storm isn't going to let up. The only way to let it, let it go and to get out of this, guys, is to throw me in the ocean. And what's their response? We're not doing that. We're not going to have your blood, a son of God, on our hands. And what does the scripture say here? Stick with me. They start rowing harder. We're going to work our way back to the shore. We're going to row our way back. And they start working harder as sailors. And the scriptures say the storm gets worse and worse and worse. And finally they say, God, have mercy on us. We're throwing you in. And in goes Jonah. Now, there's a moment, right? I started this way. When someone's going into the water and you look at them, you go, Ugh. There's nothing I can do. You're, you're already on the way down. And I wonder, I just wonder, picture this in your mind's eye. That night, stormy night in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. I wonder if Jonah's eyes met one of those sailors' eyes. On the way down into the cold, stormy waters, I wonder if he looked up and locked eyes with somebody. And I wonder if Jonah, when he hit that water, prayed a simple prayer, had a simple thought that God all along this whole story was trying to get him to a place to pray this prayer. I wonder if Jonah simply said, God, I surrender. I surrender. And maybe he prayed the, the one word prayer that God loves to hear from every single one of us, his sons and daughters. Everybody right here, stick with me. The one word prayer that God loves to hear, I think more than any other prayer. You want to know what it is? 
Help. Help. You know when you cry out help? You know what you're also saying? I surrender. I'm yielding control of my life. And the scriptures don't tell us this, but I wonder, I just wonder that if when Jonah hit that water, I wonder which way he was swimming. Was he swimming towards Tarshish, the end of the world? Or had he turned and was he swimming back to the will of God in his life? As we come again to this ancient table to celebrate communion, the Lord's table, this table that for 2,000 years has been reminding us of who we are and who God is. What this table calls out to us, this is the word of Christ to us. It calls every single one of us to say no to ourselves and to say yes to God. To surrender our lives to the grace, to the mercy, to the relentless faithfulness and love of God for us. To surrender. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Even in our disobedience. Thank you that your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on us. It's relentless. And God, I pray for each one of my friends this morning. That you would help them as they come to this table again to say no to self and yes to you that you would bring us to a place where we trust you and we surrender to you and your will for our life. Give us the grace, give us the strength, give us the courage to make the next choice in our life to say yes to you and no to self. For your glory and for our good, in Jesus' name, amen.